Thank you for joining us for this week's sermon from First Reformed Church in Edgerton, Minnesota. Each week we dig into God's Word, trusting that the Holy Spirit will continue the good work of sanctification in us. We live in a culture where busyness is really a virtue, isn't it? There's some sense of accomplishment that comes with our being able to say to other people, oh, I've just been so busy. I've been working so hard. We look forward to the opportunity to share that many times. There's, now, there's nothing wrong with being busy, and there is nothing wrong with hard work or desiring to work hard, obviously. But just think about how this hyper-busyness has become embedded in who we are and how we even speak with other people. We ask others how they are doing, and inevitably, the conversation turns towards how busy we've been. Now, that's usually true. We live in a time where we have packed schedules. We get up early for work, and even on slow days, we might have answered an email or sent out a text before we even have our first sip of coffee or before we even turn the knobs to have the water come on our head out of the shower. We are working all the time. We're looking forward to doing more work. We want to be busy. Then even while we are working, We probably have numerous things that we're doing while we're doing what we're supposed to be doing. We're communicating with people while we're doing this task. We're trying to multitask. This is a virtue in our day, to be able to be as productive as possible. And even if we're doing this stuff for work, we also have the busyness of the stuff outside of our vocations. While we're working, even while we're resting maybe, we are getting communications about our life. Maybe we get a text from a child about whether or not they got their uniform in the dryer so it'll be ready for the game after school. Maybe an email pops up that lets us know about another meeting that relates to something that we volunteer with or something that our kids have going on outside of work. Like I said, we live in a hyper-busy society, and we've made it a virtue. So when we have these conversations where we lament just how busy we are, we kind of enjoy being able to tell other people that we've been super busy. We like to tell people that our schedules are packed because a statement like that carries some clout, doesn't it? It makes it seem like we're doing life right. We're a good person because we are doing so much for others, for our children, for ourselves. This is what we seek after. Now, the person we are interacting with will probably tell us the same thing. They'll probably let us know just how busy they are as well. And we might think, well, there's no way you're as busy as I am. Because we see this as something that we're pursuing. We find fulfillment and satisfaction in being able to say this. Or something worse might even happen. We might discover that they are, in fact, busier than we are. And we feel as though maybe we aren't doing a good job of keeping up with the demands of the culture that are thrown at us. We need to be busier. Maybe there's more that we should be doing. 
Now, we know we can't go at this pace forever, so we decide to put our heads down, and we maybe have this idea, I'll rest in retirement, but those of you who are retired, you're doing the same things I'm talking about. You're busy going after grandkids' games, you're doing all kinds of things. Regardless of where you're at in life, you might find yourself to be hyper-busy. And so, what do we do with this? We come to the end of the 10th chapter of Luke today, and we see that a concern is being made here by Martha because her sister isn't working as hard as she is. And we're seeing that this idea of being busy, this idea of serving and being obsessed with it, isn't a new thing. It isn't just for our hyper-busy culture, right? We find this familiar story here in the ministry of Jesus where he's interacting with these two ladies, and we see a very good reminder for us that there are things that are more important than being busy. And so we look at this passage today as we take a break from our busyness, and we're here to worship God. But chances are there might even be some of us sitting here today as we've taken this break from our busyness, we might have the busyness that we need to do on on our minds. Even when we come to rest, even when we come to worship, we may find ourselves, even in this moment, identifying better with Martha, who is busy, than with Mary, who's sitting at the feet of Jesus as we come here to sit at the feet of Jesus, right? So let's get into the text and consider how it can speak to us and do the good work of sanctification in us. So we come to verse 38 here today, and we see that this is a familiar story, and we kind of get this idea of what is going on here, that Jesus is out doing his ministry. Now, we know that Luke is deliberate in the stories that he is telling us. We have seen this as we've been going through Luke. He isn't giving the entire life story of Jesus or even a play-by-play of his three-year ministry. Now, it's interesting because uh, this is a 138-word story here that we've read in Luke today. There's not very much to this, but it packs a lot. Two weeks ago, we saw the return of the 72. That seemed like an important story about going out and proclaiming that the kingdom of heaven was near. Then then we saw the parable of the Good Samaritan last week, another well-known story. And we can understand why this is there. But now, here we have this 138-word story about Martha and Mary. What's going on here. And notice that as we look at it, that Luke is using some transitional language to move the story forward. But he isn't deliberate to tell us that this is the next thing that was happening. And so what we're reminded of here is that this is the ministry of Jesus. He is always out and about teaching. Jesus isn't going necessarily from what he said in the Good Samaritan, and then he's going right away to Mary's house. We're getting this idea here in Luke that they're out doing the ministry of the kingdom. And Jesus may be acquiring a considerable following here, but they aren't staying in one place very long, are they? They're out doing the work of the kingdom. And we see in this passage how deeply they're relying on the charity, on the servanthood of others. And so here we're introduced to some familiar names. 
as we hear about Martha and her sister Mary. And we see here that it's Martha who is inviting Jesus to come into their home. Now, we've mentioned this before, but it's important that we remember hospitality is an important thing in the ancient world. And as I've mentioned before, this is absolutely a necessity, right? Very few villages in the ancient world would have had any place to stay. And they probably also would not have had any place to eat. They most assuredly couldn't go through a drive through for fast food. They needed people to be hospitable. Without the hospitality of others in the ancient world, you were in trouble. It would be difficult to survive. And so a traveling rabbi such as Jesus would not have lasted long in his ministry without this charity and this hospitality from others. Now from this invitation here by Martha, we can also make an assumption about the two sisters here. Chances are that Martha is the older sister. And so she would have been the one in that culture and in their family who is responsible for honoring this important custom of being hospitable to others. So chances are that this was Martha's thing. And so she was concerned about being hospitable and concerned about making sure someone is important, somebody who is growing in their clout in the community like Jesus, making sure that he is taken care of properly. And I'm guessing we all know someone who has the gift of hospitality and we can imagine them as Martha. We might even, when we read this story, we might even imagine that person that that must be what Martha even looked like because we know that person who loves to serve others, who love to be hospitable and make sure that things are just right when they have guests in their presence. And as we move to verse 39... We see here and we read that Mary is Martha's sister and she isn't too concerned with all this taking care of the guest stuff. And like I said, it likely isn't her responsibility to ensure that this happens. That would be her older sister's job. But still, you would like to think that she would be helping a lending hand here, right? When you have people at your house, there's always something to do. And you can imagine that it would have been a much bigger requirement in the first century, right? Like to have help, to be hospitable. They couldn't just tear open a bag of chips and say, here, fend for yourself. Uh, they couldn't just preheat the oven to 350 degrees and then set a timer on their virtual assistant in the kitchen to remind you to put the garlic bread in and more importantly to take the garlic bread out at the right time so it doesn't burn. You don't have all these modern conveniences. You don't have these smart devices. You had to really make sure that things were in place to do this hospitality. But instead of helping to keep the fire kindled or setting the table, making sure that people were being helped here, we find that Mary is sitting at the feet of Jesus. And she's listening to what he has to say. Now, you and I read that. And we think that's pretty cool that she had the opportunity to sit at the feet of Jesus. How amazing would that have been to be able to sit and listen to what Jesus had to say? But because of the cultural separation between us and the first century, we don't fully understand how amazing this is. This is astounding because sitting at the feet of a rabbi was how people took in the teaching that was being delivered. But in this time, 
Most of the religious leaders would have found it completely unacceptable for a woman to do that. They wouldn't have been allowed. And this is important because it shows us how welcoming Jesus was to women. In a time where they would not have been welcomed, Jesus is more than welcoming. He is allowing her to sit at his feet. He is welcoming her to hear the teaching. And we see this also displayed in the fact that in the stories of the resurrection, who are the first ones there? Whose testimony do we hear about the resurrection? It is women. This was a big deal in the early church. It was revolutionary. If you look at what the early church did, the way that they welcomed women, the way that women, even women, were baptized, all these things was an astounding part of this growth of the church. Other groups never would have done this. And so we see that Mary not only has this privilege that she wouldn't have been allowed by too many others, this sitting at Jesus' feet and learning from him, but it's also something that she would have seen as being completely unexpected. And so she would have been valuing this, right? But then we see that Martha's a bit of a downer. Again, we all know a Martha, right? Who cares what's going on? You need to be helping. You need to be doing this. And Martha gives further evidence that, that she's the stereotypical older sister here because of what she does about Jesus, uh, about Mary sitting at the feet of Jesus. We read that she was distracted with much serving. And let me tell you, I can understand that very easily. And I'm sure you get that as well. Martha is wanting to take good care of Jesus. She wants to do it right. This is a noble thing that she wants to do. But we notice that she's distracted. But we can understand why Martha has tunnel vision, can't you? This is what she's always done. She's the one who takes care of hospitality. It's what she's expected to do. And on top of it all, this is Jesus. She's doing it for Jesus, right? But I do get a kick, for lack of a better word, out of imagining this situation. And I'm guessing you probably do too. Jesus is teaching. Everyone is listening. And suddenly we have Martha going up to Jesus and she tells Jesus what to say. Who does that, right? She comes up to him. Uh, you have to wonder, did, did she interrupt him? Like, did she just, I've had enough. I am going to tell Jesus to tell Mary to help me. What does she do? Does she wait for an opening? What, does she sit there thinking, does this guy ever take a breath? I, I need a break to tell him what to say. You have to wonder. And you also have to just love the audacity here. This isn't, hey, what do you think, Jesus? Shouldn't she maybe take a break for a minute from listening to you teach to, to help me out and make sure that all these people get some food? She just needs to help me for a minute. Nope, that's not, that's not what Martha does. She doesn't ask him. She tells him. She says she isn't helping. And then she tells him what she thinks he should tell her, right? Look what it says. Tell her then to help me. I mean, who tells Jesus that, right? But as always, even when we try to put words in Jesus' mouth, we're all guilty of that, right? Trying to think that what we think Jesus would say. 
Jesus, as always, has better words than any words that any human can try to put in his mouth as we see his response in verses 41 and 42. And honestly, aren't these convicting words? Don't these words convict us? Because we have a natural tendency to be a Martha. It's a lot easier to be a Martha than a Mary. Jesus tells her that she is anxious and she is troubled about many things. And we get this. Because we live in an age filled with anxiety and people being troubled about many things. Our desire to be busy and even be hyper busy and seeing this as a virtue has caused us to be anxious about all those things that we immerse our lives in. We have invention after invention after invention that we use to try and make our lives easier. And so in celebration of all of this, we add more and more to our lives, right? All this stuff we have is supposed to make our lives easier and give us less anxiety. But what happens? The things that we use to limit our anxiety end us giving anxiety. When is this going to beep? When am I going to get that reminder of that thing that I forgot? All of our inventions are trying to take this away and we make it worse. Now, I want to be sure that you hear exactly what I'm saying here. Make sure you understand me correctly. We should not abandon work. This isn't a call to be lazy. We're not talking about not doing anything so that we won't be anxious. That's not it. We can be anxious about pretty much anything. So this isn't a call to do nothing. It's a call to look at what matters in life and to realize that there is something that matters far more than the things that make us anxious and cause us troubles of many kind. Is there anything wrong with Martha's desire to serve? No, not at all. In fact, it's a good thing that she desires to serve others. Do we look down on Martha's work ethic here? Absolutely not. What's the issue at hand here? It's her heart. It's her priorities. Jesus tells her one thing is truly necessary, and that is knowing him and resting in him. Mary isn't being lazy here. Mary is sitting and hearing the teaching of Jesus and resting in what he has to say. She's at the feet of Jesus, and she's hearing what he has to say, and this is of the greatest importance, to hear Jesus. And notice what Jesus says about what Mary is doing. She has chosen the good portion, and it can't be taken away from her. Her rest and her trust in Jesus and what he has to say to her cannot and will not be taken away from her. She is not only able to rest in him now, but the portion that she has chosen, what she is valuing here, is everlasting. It can't be taken away. The moment of anxiety and trouble that Martha has chosen will pass. And nothing, will good, and nothing good will come of it. But what Mary is doing will last. She has chosen the good portion. 
She has chosen to rest in Jesus. And as we consider our application for this passage, we know, we know that this is a message that you and I so desperately need to hear. As I mentioned, as we opened, there are probably many of us who struggle to rest even as we sit here because we have anxiety and trouble about many things. Just like Martha, Martha, we have anxiety about all the things outside of this place. And even though we're here, we might not be here. The work ethic and the desire that we have to be good stewards, those are good things. But if it keeps us from sitting at the feet of Jesus, we need to check our priorities. And we need to rest in him. We need to choose the good portion. And as we think about this, as the covenant people of God, we can take our rest in the fact that Jesus has done all the good things to bring us to himself. There was a work that needed to be done. And the reason it needed to be done was because we were a people who were not at rest. In our sin, we have the ultimate anxiety, don't we? We have the ultimate trouble. Because apart from Christ, we cannot have rest. Without Christ, we are at odds with God. But Jesus has done his work, and it is done. And this is what brings us rest. Jesus chose the hard portion that we might be able to choose the good portion and rest at his feet, knowing that we are his and that we have life in him. And so the call to us is to find that rest in him and to choose the good portion. We are a people filled with anxiety, but God calls us to first and foremost rest in him. As we experience the hardships and struggles in this life, we can go to God's word and listen and trust that we're in his hands. And that salvation and rest, that rest that he brings us, it can never be taken away from us, just as it could never be taken from Mary. Why would we not choose the good portion? We are blessed to have the word of God to come to us and deliver us this message of peace and hope. We know that because Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father, we have an advocate for us. Why would we not cast all of our cares upon him? Why would we not sit at his feet and rest in what he has to say to us? And so we look back on this passage, and I'm sure many, if not most of you, like me, are a Martha. You would rather be busy and obsess over the good things that we're trying to do and serve others than to stop and to rest and have hope and peace in what has already been done. But I want to challenge us today to consider how we can best serve others. When we are resting in Christ, we are serving with a true servant's heart, aren't we? When we rest in what he has done, our motivation to serve and work is motivated by his love for us, what he has done for us. We understand the grace and the rest that he has blessed us with, and so we know that we can serve confidently in the knowledge of his grace. 
serving and working because Jesus has first served us and has done his good work for us, knowing that he has chosen the hard portion. We can choose the better portion and rest in his grace. So may we choose the good portion. May we take the time to sit at the feet of Jesus this week and hear his word and find rest, that rest that he offers to us, his people. Choose the good portion that we might find joy and peace and rest in him. Amen. Let us pray. Almighty and gracious God, We thank you for your good work that was done for us. We thank you that the Lord Jesus Christ chose the difficult portion that we might choose the good portion. We repent of those things that we busy ourselves with to avoid resting at your feet. Help us to hear your word today and to desire to soak ourselves in it resting in who you are, sitting at your feet and knowing that you are our Savior and that in you we truly find our rest. It is in Christ's precious name that we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us for this week's sermon. For more information about First Reformed Church, head to our Facebook page or website, edgertonfrc.org.